We are in our series, March Madness, uh, the term that's derived from uh, the season that we're in where we are uh, just about getting ready to launch college bas- the men's college basketball championship tournament, uh, and it's affectionately called March Madness. Uh, we began that last week. We're also working with our final four card. I hope that you have your card. Uh, have it in your Bible or wherever you like to spend time in prayer. And uh, if you didn't get one last week, if you would lift up your hands, the ushers will come down really quick to make sure that you get one. Uh, some down here, guys. What, what it simply is, is we want you to uh, believe with us for four names of people that you know that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We're going to have a meeting, an evangelistic service at the last Sunday of this month. That's the 29th. We have a guest speaker coming in, uh, and we want you to pray this entire month for those four people to say, God, I want you to give me favor with them. Uh, I want to invite them. I want them to come, and I want them to be saved. That's your final four, that we're all believing God, that we're going to see God do something tremendous in the lives of people on March the 29th. Now, uh, for today, as I was thinking about the subject matter for today and what we're going to look at, I was thinking about uh, and reading a, a book that somebody graciously, where is he? Come on, uh, Mr. Pilecki. Uh, come on, would you stand up, Brother Pilecki? Mike, that's you. Mike gave me a book. <laughs> He's looking around like, uh, who's Mr. Pilecki? <laughs> Mike gave me a book a, a while back uh, about Don Wooden which is, he's considered college basketball's greatest coach ever. And the reason for that is he won 10 championships. 10. The, clo- the next closest coach has won five. So you could see, and, and at one point, Coach Wooden won seven in a row, something that has never even come close to being repeated. And so he's considered... a. a to be the greatest college basketball coach ever. And as I'm reading his book, he had some tremendous principles that governed not just his life, but how he coached his team. And uh, there were these principles that he believed helped them to be successful. And we're going to look at three of these principles today. Uh, We're going to look at fundamentals, preparation, and effort. And he believed that his team, if they did these three things, fundamentals, preparation, and effort, then they would be successful even if they lost the game. He felt so strongly about this that if during a game, if they wound up winning the game, but he felt that they did not, their best effort, if they, if they missed up on a lot of the fundamentals, then he felt, and he would tell his players, we were not successful today, even though the score says that we won. So we're going to look at these three things because our, our topic today is on being successful, specifically as a Christian. In this Christian journey, how can you and I become successful, if you will, in that regard? So the first one that we're going to look at is 
fundamentals. Everybody say that word with me, fundamentals. As I mentioned, Coach Wooden would begin uh, with, with this fundamentals. In fact, when I was reading this book, I was fascinated because every season, the very first thing he would begin to do with all of his players, even the ones that were returning, he would teach them how to put their socks on. And I was thinking about, I mean, why would you have to teach players how to put their socks on? But he discovered that sometimes players got lazy or, and didn't take great care on how they put on their socks. So if they had even the smallest wrinkle inside their, their sneaker, and by the way, they're all called sneakers, not gym shoes, okay? <laughs> you Midwesterners, you got it all wrong. It's not gym shoes, it's sneakers. But he discovered that if they had even the slightest fold or wrinkle in their sock, that as the game progressed, it would develop a blister. And therefore, he would lose that player's ability to play their best. So every year, fundamentally, he told everybody, take off your shoes, your socks. I'm going to teach you how to properly put on your socks. I'm going to teach you how to properly lace your sneakers. And then when they got that down right, before they even picked up a basketball and started shooting, he would spend time working on a drill that he felt was fundamental to them being success. And it would be moving side to side because this is not natural to us in how we walk, right? We don't walk side to side. We're not crabs. We walk forward and backwards something. But because that was not natural, because it's not natural, there are muscles that you need to develop and make strong. To play 40 minutes of basketball and you do a lot of side to side, if those muscles weren't strong, again, they would become weakened in the game, they would become sore in their feet and in their legs, and they wouldn't be successful. So he was very strong on all of these basic fundamentals. Successful players, if you find, if it doesn't matter what sport you even look at, but if you look at a player that's successful, you will find that they are always working on mastering the fundamentals of their sport. And I want to talk to you this morning about you and I being successful as Christians by mastering the fundamentals of Christianity. And there's no more fundamental than spending time alone with God. We call it devotionals. Youth call it devos. They like to shorten everything. So you, de devos. Spending time alone with God is the most basic fundamental to Christians being successful in this journey of living right before God. And there's no more, uh, uh, in this fundamental, you have a couple of what I've called sub-fundamentals that make up these two components that make up what devotionals are all about, what being alone with God involves. The first one is reading the Bible, reading the Bible. As basic as this sounds, I'm going to be very basic, get down with you. Reading the Bible is understanding this is how God communicates to you and I. This is how God speaks on a daily basis to you and I. It's how he guides us. In fact, in Psalm 119, verse 5, it says, your word is a lamp 
to guide my feet and a light for my path. In the 133rd verse of the same psalm, it says, guide my steps by your word so I will not be overcome by evil. So this is how God guides you and I on a daily basis. If we want to be successful in this Christian journey, we have to be reading our Bible daily because every day we all need guidance. Every day we need God to, to, to speak to our lives and to direct us into the, how we should live our life, what we should avoid, the evil that we should avoid. The word of God gives us hope. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 114. says, your word is my source of hope. Hope is the expectancy of something good. When you get to read your Bible every day, in fact, here's a good uh, thing to do. Uh, it's something that I have done for 30 years. In every new Bible that I do this, every time I find a promise from God, I highlight it in my Bible. Because that, that's some God telling to me, this is what I will do for you. And when I read the promises of God, it gives me hope. It gives me the expectancy of something good. So it's important if we find ourselves in a time of discouragement, if we find ourselves uh, losing hope because all around us, everything seems hopeless, man, that's when we really need to get into God's word. Because God's word produces hope in our lives. God's word is a source of understanding. And by understanding, this is, the, this is the playbook that God has for you and I, understanding. Psalm 119 verse 32 says, I will pursue your commands for you expand my understanding. The Bible also says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. It, what saddens me as a pastor is when we, as God's people, don't spend time reading God's word, we become illiterate. In fact, it has been documented, this is the most illiterate time in the history of the church where so many of God's people fail to read the word. Therefore, they have no understanding. They don't have understand what God requires of them. They don't understand what God has purposed and planned for their life. They don't understand how they should live. They don't understand how they should avoid fall evil. And because we don't have understanding, we are then, then become very susceptible to the traps and schemes that the enemy has for us to derail our Christian journey. Are you following me this morning? The Bible tells us that God's word is also the weapon that we're to use spiritually. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, and take the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is, in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul spent time uh, uh, illustrating that we are in spiritual warfare. We are constantly under fire spiritually. We are constantly battling spiritual forces that want to derail our life. And Paul talked about putting on the full armor of God. And all of the full armor of God is for defensive purposes until Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, this is how you fight. 
This is the offensive weapon for the Christian journey. When you don't know the word of God, you don't know how to fight the enemy. Because listen, when the enemy tempted Jesus three times, what did he use? Three times. It is written. He used the word. He used the sword of the spirit. And when you and I don't understand uh, that and we don't take time with that to, to get God's word into our hearts, then to use the basketball analogy, we're never on the offense. Think about it. How could you win a game if you never get the ball into the hoop? If you never shoot, if all you're doing is always playing defense, if you can't score, you can't win. You can't be successful. And if you don't know God's word, man, how are you going to fight? Listen, growing up in New York, I grew up in the hood. And uh, I was special. I learned very quickly that I wasn't good with my hands, but I was very good with my words. So I knew how to talk myself out of a fight. In fact, quite honestly, I've only had one fight in my entire life, and it's with my wife, but she's not here, so I can say that. (laughs) No, it's not true. (laughs) It was in junior high school, and oddly enough, it was with another guy named Carlos. (laughs) And he took a swing and missed, and I held on for dear life because he was bigger than me. And that's the extent of my fighting. But can you think about a boxer getting the ring and not knowing how to box? That happened to my youngest brother. He got into this phase at one point in his life that he wanted to be a boxer. And he started running, he started sparring in the gym and working out, and when he thought he was ready, he went to the trainer that was in the gym that he was at and said, I, I, I want to get in the ring, I, I want to I be a boxer. And the, the, the guy looked, took one look at my brother and said, you're not a boxer, you need to go home. You look like you're a pencil pusher. And my, my younger brother said, no, 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 man, come on, get me in, get me in. And guys, you're not a boxer, go home. No, no, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I've been training, I've been ready. So he said, all right, fine. Picked up another boxer, you guys get in the ring. He said, ding, rang the bell. And my brother, you know, he's looking good, he's looking good. And all of a sudden, that guy went, boom, right in the face. And my brother realized, that hurt. And so my brother started going on his bicycle now. (laughs) And the guy who was more adept at boxing got him into a corner of the ring, and he just rained blows on him for two minutes and would not let him out of the corner. And my brother, all he did was cover up. Mercifully, the bell rang. My brother took off his gloves, threw them on the floor, and that was the end of his boxing career. (laughs) Why? Because he didn't know how to fight. You see, some of us, we think we know how to fight spiritually. But if you don't know the word of God, you're deceiving yourself. You're like my younger brother. You think you could take on the devil. You think you could take on demons. You could think you could take on the bad things that happen in this world because you, you know, you got Father God on your side. And God's going to make you, listen, if you don't know the word of God, 
then you are one of those that are trying to fight without a weapon. And you don't realize you have an adversary that has weapons, strong weapons. And he'll take you down in a heartbeat, you see. So we need to, this fundamental of reading God's word because this is how God communicates to us and this is how we can become successful in this journey. The second uh, fun, part of the fundamentals after reading our Bible, here it goes, is the easy one, prayer. Because this is how we communicate to God. The word is how God communicates to us. Prayer is how we communicate to God, how we talk to God. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, the Bible says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So remember, this is the picture where Paul was painting about going into warfare, that we are constantly in a spiritual battle, and he talks about the whole armor of God, and after he's done with that, he's telling them, okay, now I want you to take the sword of the Spirit, and now, you ready? You ready? Here's what you're going to do. Here's where the battle is fought. Pray. Pray. Pray all the time, on every occasion, and you need to be alert. Because you have an adversary that's always looking to take you down. How do you battle? You battle in prayer. Every morning that God gives us breath, we wake up. We should, after thanking God for the new day, we pray for grace. Grace is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. We should pray for mercy, that God will not treat us as our sin deserves. We should pray for power, that God will empower us to live righteously today in his sight. But then we should also remember that the Bible exalts us to be persistent in praying for all believers. So we should be praying for other brothers and sisters in the church. We should be also praying for our unsaved loved ones. We're doing that in the final four, right, that we're praying every day. God, these are the ones I want to bring. These are the ones I want to see come to the saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray for God to break the stronghold that the enemy has in people's lives. It's why we set aside every Tuesday in the Spanish ministry to pray, every Wednesday in here in the English. We believe so strongly that we are the army of God. And God has called us, has exhorted us, pray at all times. It's so critical, brothers and sisters. And listen, the reason why this is a fundamental that we constantly have to be uh, practicing is because no one, no one, no one has mastered it. No one has mastered reading this book. Please don't tell me that you, you, you don't read it anymore because you read it once from cover to cover. That God has always speaking through his book. No one has ever mastered the entire word of God. That's why we, ga we gather here to hear messages. Uh, but I'm not saying something you haven't heard before. 
The issue is the Spirit of God making it fresh and new into our lives. So we need to, the Word of God every single day so that God can communicate to us. We need to uh, talk to God. We need to pray so that God can move. We can ask God to move in a way that only God can do so that we can see God do some incredible things in all of our lives. And successful believers Successful Christians have these two fundamentals that they are constantly guarding and working on so that they don't fall back and take anything for granted. Whenever you find a player in sports that takes their preparation or their talent for granted, then you wind up seeing them be not successful, you don't see them uh, reaching their fullest potential, and ultimately they wind up being defeated. Yet you find these great sports. I think about in pro basketball, Michael Jordan, no one worked harder on the fundamentals in the gym than, than he did. Yet he was considered the greatest basketball player ever, and rightly so. And that's because when he got into the gym, no one worked harder than he did at the fundamentals. Are you with me so far? Okay. So being successful, number one, deals with these fundamentals, and that's reading our Bible and prayer. Number two is in preparation. And by preparation, for you and I, talk about knowing the plan. So uh, what what Coach Wooden uh, wanted to do before games, not only are they preparing as far as working and on, on their fundamentals and preparing by uh, practicing their shots or whatever. But they're always, because he wanted his players to always be uh, prepared for the game, they would watch film on their opposing team. And he told his team, you need to be prepared the best that you can regardless of who, who you're playing. Because what he saw was, okay, tonight we're playing the worst team in the league. We got this. And he said, no, you're not prepared. Never take any opponent for granted. And so he wanted them to prepare hard for every opponent, regardless of who he was, who they were. He had a game plan in place, and he wanted every player on the team know the game plan. Know what your role in the game plan is. Because if every player knows their, uh, what the game plan is, knows what their role is, then we will be successful, regardless of the outcome of the score. But if you have players that are not prepared and are just winging it on the court, then he would pull them out of the game and say, you are not prepared, you see. Preparation, being prepared. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. Come on, look at your neighbor and tell boy, you're God's masterpiece. Come on, one more time, look at them and say, you're a real piece of work. <laughs> Listen to what he said. You are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things he what? Planned for us long ago. God has a plan for every believer's life. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. In other words, there is a role that you play in God's kingdom. He's got the great blueprint 
And he's got this playbook, and every, every play in the playbook it involves different players doing different things. And everyone, as they do their part, the success comes. In fact, let me read something to you very quickly. I didn't plan, but it's just coming to my uh, heart right now. Kirby, if you guys uh, back there can find Ephesians oh, chapter 4, verse 16 in NIV. It'll come up in a second. Listen, from him, meaning God, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself in love. Here's the important part. As each part does its what? As each part does its work. Now, the analogy Paul's using is the physical body, as every part of our body understands what their function is, and as they do it, the body is healthy and grows. Spiritually speaking, we've got this incredible God who not only saves us, but it washes away all of our sins and writes our name in the book of life so that one day we're going to be all in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's wonderful. But it's important that we understand if we're going to be successful in this thing called the Christian journey, then we've got to understand we were saved for a purpose. God has a plan for our lives to use us here now for his honor and for his glory. And we cannot be successful as children of God. We cannot be successful Christians if we don't know the plan, if we're not engaged in the plan. We've got to be prepared. How do we be prepared? We got, as we spend time reading our Bible, allowing God to communicate to us and talking to God, you will discover God will begin to speak to you and let you know what the role is that you play in his playbook. What is it that God saved you to do? You will discover that. And as you engage in doing that, you become successful. You see, success isn't measured by position, status. On the basketball, there's five players on the court. Each player has a role. Each player has a function. You have the point guard. Now, the point guard, his, he's like the, the captain on the floor. He's the one uh, who dribbles the ball coming up court, and he knows the play, so he'll call out the play. Play 23. And 23 means this guy, you move here, this guy, you move there, and this guy, you go down, and I'm going to pass it to you. But this guy is blocking your guy as he's going down. So the play is already done. And so the point guard knows, I am not scoring in this play. It is not my job to score in this play. My role in this play is to get the ball to this guy and say, get it and shoot. And when he gets it, his role is to put it in the basket. Now, before he can get it, Pastor Joey's role is to say, when he comes across, his man is following him. My, God, my, play, my role is to block his guy so that he can get free. My role is not to shoot. My role is not to come over here and say, pass me the ball, pass me the ball, pass the colors, because don't you understand, I'm the handsomest guy here. <laughs> you knew you were going to pay for that, right? <laughs> you knew you were going to pay for that. 
You see, and when the ball goes in the hoop, he doesn't celebrate because I'm bad. The ball went in the hoop because every player did their part. In church, it is not the pastor who gets the glory. It is not the people who are on the platform. It is not people who are teaching children. We are all players in the game, if I could say that reverently. And as each one of us does our part, the whole is blessed. We're successful, you see. So you don't have one more important than the other. Pastors are not more important than ushers, right? Media people are not more important than deacons or elders. We all are simply playing the role, fulfilling the plan that God has for our life. Would you say amen to that? Amen. Oh, number one is fundamentals. Number two is prayer. Let me finish it up with the last one. The last one was effort. Effort. Coach Wooden always asked his players to give their very best in preparations, in working on their fundamentals, and in the game. And he told them constantly, if you give your best, then no matter what the outcome is, we're successful. But if you don't give your best, even if the score says we won, in my opinion, we were not successful. He wanted his players to understand to him the most important thing in the game that translates into life itself was always give your best. Always work at your best. And it's something that no one can really judge. I mean, you can have a coach and say, I can tell this one's not giving your best. But what he wanted to do was to have the players self-evaluate themselves constantly. Am I giving my best? Did I give my best in this game tonight? The Bible says this in Luke chapter 10. In verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up and to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? In other words, how do you understand it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answered, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. In other words, this expert in the, in the religious law understood that if I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, if I give God my very best and I love my neighbor, I will inherit eternal life. And Jesus told him, you hit it right on the head. You got it. The Bible says this in 2 Peter, echoing that. Listen to 2 Peter. I got it. Just, you got it. I'm okay. Uh, 
Thank you. You see, whether you're a pastor or a ball boy or water guy, we're all a team. Thank you. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort. Come on, say that with me. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter is saying, if you make every effort, if you give your best to add to your faith all of these attributes, if you do your very best to add goodness, if you make every effort to add uh, knowledge, if you make every effort to add self-control, to add perseverance, to add godliness, to add mutual affection. If you do those things, if you make every effort, which means if you give it your best, then you will be effective and productive. Worship team, if you would come. In other words, when we give God our very best, that's what pleases the Lord. It's what makes us successful as, as the people of God. So the issue is, let's, let's break it down to some very practical places. When I come to worship, do I give God my best worship? When it comes to giving, do I give God my best in giving? When it comes to serving, do I serve God with the best attitude that I can have? Do I put the best effort forward in, in everything that God's called me to do, in other words? How many would agree with me? God gave us his best when he gave us Jesus, Amen. right? And guess what? Jesus right now is giving his best for you and I. Because the Bible says in Hebrews, put that up on the screen for me. Hebrews chapter 7, please. Listen, therefore, meaning Jesus, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to intercede for them. Right now, the, Jesus is giving his best effort in praying for you and I. He's constantly praying for you and I. So the Father gave us the best. The Son is giving us the best. Ought not we to give God the best? Now, why is this so important? Human nature is such that we tend to get lax. We get lax in life. We start out well. We mean well. We start out well with exercise program, but then somewhere along the way, we get lax. We start well in, in dieting, and then we get lax. We start a new job, and we're gung-ho. We're going to, man, I'm going to really do well here. I'm going to give it my best. And then somewhere along the way, we slack off there. It's human nature. 
We start this Christian journey and we get so on fire for God, so happy and we, we love to worship God, we praise God. And then somewhere along the journey, all of a sudden we're not giving our best anymore. We start honoring God by bring, uh, in, in our giving uh, with tithes and we even give it an offering, submission, we do all that. But then somewhere in the journey, we start thinking about this and we start thinking about that and maybe we're giving too much to the Lord and we get lax. We're lax in so many ways. But the great thing about our God is he's so wonderful in being gracious and merciful to all of us. We need to get back to the place where we recognize God gave us his very best. Jesus is giving us his very best. Oh God, I want to give my very best effort to you, to serving you. Would you please stand with me as we prepare to close in prayer? Pastor Jason, would you help us out, please?